One, two, Here's two, Welcome to the John Lennon Hour with Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. Volume 1, Should Have Been There. Volume 2, Shivering Inside. And Volume 3, She Loves You. Purchase your copy of the John Lennon series at johnlennonseries.com. Welcome, Beatles fans. This is the John Lennon Hour. Tower clock strikes in the cold night air And it's onward to Liddy Pool for me Home to Liddy again, Liddy boy In May of 1993, a long time ago, I was asked by Richard Farrar, the director of the Kansas City Beetlefest, to be the guest host for none other than Ruth McCartney when she was paying a visit to our Beatles celebration and our lovely Midwestern town. Now, at that juncture, I was about seven years into the writing of my first volume in the John Lennon series, Should Have Been There, and I have to tell you, I was excited beyond words to meet the stepsister of a Beatle. Well, okay, let's face it, more than excited. I was nervous. I was afraid I'd misstep or act like a country bumpkin. But immediately upon meeting Ruth at the Kansas City Marriott downtown, which originally, as you guys probably know, was the Muehlbach Tower Hotel, the exact place where the Beatles had stayed in 1964, the minute I met her there, I was completely at ease. I mean, Ruth was then and is now full of fun and honesty, as honest as the day is long, and a real love of life. And as I drove her over to the local television station and waited with her in the green room for the interview that she was doing, she started telling me great stories, very kindly, because she knew what I was doing. The stories weren't really about Paul. They were about my interests, John Lennon. And she gave me some superb advice about publishing my book, and I always heeded what she told me. She not only told me what to do with the book, but she told me what not to do. And I remembered that. Uh, The next day, I went to pick her up again a second time, and this time I was to escort her from her hotel, that Marriott downtown hotel, to the convention center where the Beatles Festival was to be held. And as we walked down the street, we passed through a very lively, uh, in full swing, Cinco de Mayo Festival with, let us say, um, ultra-enthusiastic male participants. Now, let me paint the picture for you. I'm 5'2", 95 pounds, And I was escorting, bodyguarding, as it were, a tall, shapely, gorgeous, blonde, long-legged beauty. Hmm. I didn't know karate, didn't know jiu-jitsu or any other chop-and-block self-defense. I was an aerobics instructor. I was just praying within an inch of my life that we would make it out of there without more than the 3,000 catcalls that we 
well, that Ruth was getting. And luckily, we made it. We totally survived and made it to the convention center. And that afternoon, safely locked inside that convention center, Ruth got up on the stage. She told her story. She sang. And then she reunited with a friend of hers who was also at the convention, the very sweet Louise Harrison. And the two of them chatted for quite a while. Louise also was very, very generous with her time that day, and she gave me a superb interview with which I could, with, with which out I could not have written, should have been there, really needed the information that she supplied about George as a young boy, her kid brother. And she talked about her kid brother's band, which, as many of you probably know, is the name of her brand new book, My Kid Brother's Band, a.k.a. The Beatles. Great, great new book. Well, what a weekend, huh? I'll never forget it. And now 20 years later, fates reunited us. Those guests that weekend in Kansas City are going to be together again in the next few days. Tonight, Ruth and her deliciously wonderful mom, Angie, are here on the John Lennon Hour. And then next week, Louise Harrison's going to be here on the same show. 20 years after our meeting, we're all reunited, and it feels so good. You know the song. That was the song. This past fall, I really got to see Ruth again, and I got to meet Angie for the first time because we were all at Mark and Carol Lapidus' Fest for Beatles fans in Los Angeles, and I was very fortunate that Ruth and Angie had the booth right next to mine. Now, let me tell you what I saw. I saw me working and slaving away, selling She Loves You and Should Have Been There, serious, stopping people, talking about the book. And next to me, I watched as exotic Fair Trade, McCartney's Tees, and copies of Angie's book went away with the devoted fans who were laughing and chatting and having a great time at Angie's booth. And what I could see, even with just a cursory glance, is that everybody over on her side of the table was having fun. They loved her. They adored her. Ruth and Angie were bowling people over. Well, at the end of the fest, I went over and invited the McCartney girls to join us for a John Lennon hour. And I had no idea when I did that 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 would be the beginning of a great friendship because in the weeks that followed, I not only got to know Ruth better, but I got to know Angie for the first time. I read her a remarkable book that we're going to talk about tonight, and we started kind of emailing back and forth. And I want to tell you, with goosebumps to say this, that there isn't a speck of doubt in my mind about why Jim McCartney fell in love with this vivacious, funny, sparkling lady Guys, she's a real deal, and like Ruth, she totally puts you at ease, and you're going to find that out for yourself this evening, because in about 15 minutes or so, I'm going to let you call in and chat with these two interesting and talented ladies, McCartney. Now, the number to call is 646-668-2641, and right now, we're going to bring them on the program if you guys will help me, we're going to welcome to the show Ruth and Angie McCartney. Ladies, are you there? Hello, Jude. Hi there. How are you? How are you? We're absolutely splendid, thank you. Only only Angie would say hello, Jude, and not hey, Jude. Oh, it's been done. It's been done before. I'm sure you've never heard that before. Right? No, never. Never, ever, and I love it every single time. And so how is life in sunny California? 
about to get ready. We're uh, we're breaking out our wellies and our brollies. We're really looking forward to a wet weekend. I never thought I'd hear myself <laughs> say that growing up in Liverpool, but it's a good thing we need the rain. Yes, we all do. Well, we have yeah, snow we've had all four over years the of drought here, so we really need it. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason rain. we need it most is because it's, it's putting up the price of Mother's Chardonnay. <laughs> oh, we can't have that. Goodness me. Hell no. I, I must agree that we have to have our priorities straight. We really oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, even though we have almost a whole hour together, it's going to go by so fast, and I know hmm. people are going to call in a few minutes, and there's so much we have to talk about because, Ruth, you've got so much going on with iFans.com, your consulting business, and, of course, your role as CEO of McCartney Multimedia. And then, Angie, you've got Mrs. McCartney's Tease, and your great book, My Long and Winding Roads, and so much. So let's just jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay. Let's... Born ready, mate. From Liverpool, you're born ready. <laughs> That's right. That is so right. Okay, Angie, we'll start with you. I, okay. You know I read your book, and you know I loved your book, and I did a review Good. on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And for those of you listening, it's on Amazon.com, or you can go to the store on Angie's website, which is www.mrs. Mrs. McCartney's Tees. That's plural, T-E-A-S, Mrs. McCartney's Tees.com. And you can buy your own copy of the book. But in the book, you talk about meeting Jim McCartney and about your first impressions of him. Tell us yeah. about that. Well, I had a, a, a long-lost friend, Beth Robbins, who happened to be Jim McCartney's niece. And she and I had lost touch for years. And we got back together again. And she said, I was a widow with a four-year-old daughter. And she said, oh, you must come and meet Uncle Jim sometime. And I didn't know who the heck Uncle Jim was. But she had her sort of um, matchmaker hat on, thinking <laughs> Uncle Jim is a widower. Ange is single, alone, with a little daughter. Let's get them together. So she arranged for us to go and meet Uncle Jim. And uh, that's where it all began. I didn't realize at the time that Uncle Jim had uh, two sons, Michael, Mike McGee McCartney of The Scaffold, and another one who was in a band called uh, The Beatles. He was called Paul McCartney. <laughs> and Ooh. had you known, would you have gone to meet him? That might have changed everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. The rest, as they <laughs> say, is history. You were really yeah. just a little girl at this point, right? Four years old. So, what are your memories of that event? I wasn't actually at the first um, meeting on the doorstep, but I know, I know, Ange. She knew that you know Beth and Mike Robbins. Um, we knew them from an old holiday camp called Butlins in North Wales, which were old um, army huts that had been painted orange and pink and purple and converted. And all of us used to get cheap holidays and get the bus there and enter the Nobbly Knees contest and the Beautiful Baby contest. And the, it yeah. was just kind of, you know, old-fashioned British holiday seaside fun. And that's where Angie and, and um, I got to meet Beth and Mike and their kids. And so, you know, it wasn't any great surprise to me. She said, oh, I'm going over to, do you remember Beth and Mike? And I was just like, well, not really. I'm four. What do you want from me, you know? (laughs) And um, so she went off, and then she sort of came home and said to me the next morning, I've met a very nice man, and I want to go back um, with your grandmother, Edie, and uh, it'll all be very chaperoned. And it was, we were still, we were in the 60s, but we weren't far from Downton Abbey because my grandmother, Edie, was born in 1888, so... If you can imagine, you know, Lady Isabel, she was a bit sort of, oh, well, I don't know, who who is this chap? What are, what are his intentions to, oh, he's retired, does he? So he doesn't have a job, you know. 
Honest intentions, honourable. Right. And so we sort of we went back, and I remember playing with him. He was 62, and I was four, and he was really starting to suffer badly from arthritis then. And um, he just he knew he wasn't going to be able to be an active sort of cricket, football playing, you know, stick throwing to the dog dad. But what he did give me was a very wicked, dry, early developed sense of humour, a love of crosswords and the vocabulary in the English language. I mean, I see, you know, headlines and subtitles on CNN now, and they're decimating my language thread by thread. So that was what Jim meant to me. When I first met him, I remember thinking, oh, what a kind man. He's really old, but, you know, I can sit on his lap like Santa and tell him secrets, and he'll just make me smarter. And he did. Oh. Oh, I love. I just love that. I love it. Well, yeah, and that leads us to the the next thing I wanted to ask because this has stuck with me. So many things from the book I, I, I think about every day, but the one that really hits me several times a day is his motto: "Moder and taller." Angie, yep. tell everybody about that. That's right. Well, yeah, he used to say two words in life: "Moder and taller." Uh, moderation and toleration you know be moderate in everything you do and tolerate other people and you know it's not a bad set of rules to live by i wish we all could but hey you know the world has moved on and we're all a bit busier and a lot of people are a lot greedier but moderate and tolerant yeah like ellen says every day when she signs off be kind to one another yeah. it's just not that right. hard no it's easy <laughs> right. it's much nicer right. to be yeah, what is the thing they say? You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. That's the one. That's, That's the one. one. That's so right. <laughs> and yeah. was he like that? Was was he moderate oh, and he tolerant? Was, yeah. Oh, he was wonderful, very tolerant. And considering he'd grown up in, you know, a different age from what we know now, he was very aware and very tolerant as the boys would get into all sorts of things that he didn't necessarily approve of, but he would deal with it. And just sort of, you know, be very tolerant. And he, he was the typical mm. epitome of roll with the punches. Yeah. And he used to say, uh-huh. if you can't say anything nice, don't, don't say, say anything it. at all. I love it. Boy, yeah. that, that, that's he was, because he was most one people of, go he with He was one of a dozen kids growing up in, in uh, you know, Fishguard Street in Liverpool. That's, you just, that's what you did. You had a dozen kids because they'd all get jobs and go out and earn you know, three shillings a week and bring money home and cram in a small house, and that's how you survived, was by having, you know, lots in the number. And when he was growing up, they had, you know, half a dozen girls and half a dozen boys, and they had one pair of girls' shoes and one pair of boys' boots. That's right. So they went to school, you know, one girl went to school one day, one boy went to school one day, plus it was a penny a day to go to school, and they didn't have the money. So everything he knew, his incredible vocabulary. I mean, he could do the London Times crossword faster than anyone I've still seen to this day. He learned from his brothers and sisters by the by the fireplace, them wow. going to the penny school and coming home and sharing the knowledge with the family. That's right. They'd sit around and tell each other what they'd done that day, which Ruth and Martin and I still do. We sit around our kitchen table every night and talk about what we've been doing. Oh, but we don't have to pay a penny to go to school. More than a penny now, <laughs> Yeah, that is so great. Well, now, Ruth, it, so there was more to this very sweet man, this, this man of moderation and toleration than met the eye, because I'm sure that very quickly you two found out that he had a very, very famous son. What were your earliest memories of meeting Paul? 
Well, the first night I met him, I think we'd been over to the house um, with my grandma and what have you three or four times because they was Angie and Jim were starting to sort of look at kind of like the Indian culture and arranged marriage. You know, I had just had a kidney removed and I was on death's door, and yeah. they really didn't expect me to live. And so she needed somebody who could provide, even though we have you know, medical insurance. We had Obamacare in England back then, but it was still like right. you had to wait and you might be dead by the time you got it. So Anne right. knew that she sort of needed someone and a roof over her head to take care of the, me, the child, the baby. And Jim knew that as a widower at 62, he probably wasn't going to find some crazy romantic, you know, Miss Liverpool type of love again, and nor was he that type of man, you know, he was just, they, all of the family used to call him Gentleman Jim, they used to mm. laugh at him, because he would only have white towels, white linen, white sheets, white napkins, and clear glasses, because that way you could see the germs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not yeah. even kidding. So, no, 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 she's not kidding. <laughs> so, when I came along, I think he saw, with Ange and I, as, as a, you know, buy one, get one free, you, he saw an opportunity um, to sort of, you know, live a younger life again and also have someone that was his trusted confidant and secretary and assistant and help with the fan mail and the fans and run this, run the house. The house wasn't, I mean, by Liverpool standards, the house was a mansion. By now standards, it's like, you know, a Shea home in the outskirts of Las Vegas. It was, you know, four bedrooms <laughs> and one bathroom and a little back garden. But in those days... In Liverpool, that was like, ooh, you've really made it. You know, you, you, you're not right. cheap by jowl with a neighbor, you know. Right. So um, I think they both sort of sat down and said, well, you know, I have a need, you have a need. We get along great. We've got the same sense of humor. They're both musical, both play the piano. And I think that's sort of where it came became an obvious thing to Ange. I mean, well, you, Ange, you can take over. I don't know. Did you Did you know that? the night we went over there that he was actually going to... I had a that. feeling because he wanted me to bring you and, uh, uh-huh. you know, he's, he sat me down and said, well, you know, we both know we need someone. We need somebody in our lives. And you, what do you want to think about? Do you want to be my housekeeper? Do you want to live with me? Or do you want to get married? That was romantic, wasn't it? <laughs> and I said, well, I would only go for marriage because in those days with a four-year-old kid... I didn't want to feel like I was the woman who was living with the man with the child, you know. We were still pretty old-fashioned then. So yeah. he said, okay, then that's it. Then consider you're being proposed to. What's the answer? I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's put the kettle on. Put the did. kettle on, yeah. We and celebrated with a pot of tea. I know. Shortly after, the phone <laughs> rang, and it was Paul, and I heard Jim say, hello, son. Yes, yeah, she is. Yes, I have. Yes, we are. So I assumed that the questions were... Is she there? Have you asked her? And are you going to? <laughs> so it wasn't really I romantic, but we grew to love each other very much. And then Paul jumped in the car. Oh, yeah. He came up from Liverpool, and that was the first night I met him. And much to Angie's chagrin, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I still didn't know McCartney. Be, you know, I hadn't put two and two together. I mean, come on, I was right, four. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. You got that right? Two and two is four. Anyway, so... <laughs> Oh, I'll, be, I'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitress. Um, so, sorry, Jude. <laughs> I warned you. Yeah, you I warned you what you like. Um, so anyway, Paul came up, and you know I'd gone to bed, and I was put put him away in my pajamas, and they were sitting there brewing endless pots of tea, and you know Ange knew that 
the great Paul was going to walk in the garage and what have you. Uh, she brought me down from upstairs, woke me up, put the lights on, and plonked me on this guy's lap. And I remember looking up at him. I was He was up, up and to my right, and I was on that black, horrible pleather couch we had. <laughs> and um, I sort of rubbed my eyes in the light, and I said, hang on. I know you. You're on my my cousin's got a dollhouse playhouse, and you're on the wallpaper. And I and just decided to die. Like, oh, oh dear, no. cringe, cringe, cringe moment, yeah. And uh, I said, oh, let me show you my scar because I had 210 stitches on a four-year-old body, oh. you know. So of course I oh. whip up my pajamas in front of a beetle as you do. And um, and he's like, oh, he says, you should meet my friend Ringo. He's got a scar on his tummy. He's had his appendix out, you know. So it was just perfectly normal. And then. You know, the next day there was a bit of a, a hoo-ha. We got in a taxi, went home and got clothes for a party, and then all of a sudden there was a wedding, and all of a sudden I lived there, and that was that. The kids are so adaptable. I love it. I love it. And you had so many people that came to that house, such as that young boy that you told me about in Kansas City who taught you something special, Mr. John Lennon. Tell everybody that story. I love it. Well, John, you know, after John, um, after they made their money in the office and Brian Epstein and everybody advised them to buy real estate, which was, you know, a smart thing for a 23-year-old lad to do, John didn't have a, a family home in Liverpool anymore. So whenever they used to come up north, Paul would say, I'm going home to, to my dad's for the weekend. Do you want to come? And sometimes John would say, yeah, and he'd stay in the back guest room. And um, right. I was trying forever and ever, which looked over the back garden, forever and ever to ride a bike and I had these stabilizer wheels on there and it kept falling off and scabbing me knees. In fact, Paul used to write all the postcards he ever sent me from all over the world addressed to Dad Ange and Scabby. That was me because I was always falling off the bike. <laughs> scabby knees, yeah. So John Lennon, just he had enough of me going, ah, outside the bedroom window and he's like, ah, bloody hell, that's it. I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike. So painstakingly, over a few Sundays, he would get up, hung over, no doubt, and go outside in the freezing cold and, you know, hang on to the saddle, and we'd go round and round and round in the back garden. And um, I was about six and a half, probably. Yeah, maybe nearly six. I don't think I had any middle teeth, so I must have been in my sixes. And um, finally I did it. He's like, yay, yay, yay. And he said, this is a metaphor. <laughs> Once you know how to ride a bike, you'll never forget. It's a metaphor for life. And I turned around to look at over my left shoulder and asking what's the metaphor and fell off the bloody bike. <laughs> oh, that's my girl. Two more teeth down. Yeah, more scabs. That great. That is great. I love that story. And those are the kind of stories that make up your, your book, Angie. I mean, you don't have to read it in order. You can store it anywhere and it makes sense because you tell vignettes about people, not a chronological tale. You have a story no, about well, Brian I just, Epstein. Yeah. I mean, I've been threatening yeah, for we, years to Jane, write a book. Whole, you know, everybody says, oh, I'm going to write a book one day, you know. Yeah. And you sit down and write little bits. And yep. then suddenly and you get a chance to publish, and you think, oops, I've got to get it together. And I just <laughs> write as I think, you know. There's no well, other I way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've made it possible for people to read just a short bit of it, put it down, pick it up, read a short bit more, and it's always yeah. so interesting. It's always so well, interesting. It's, so, it's tell us about some of the people. It's what I call toilet, toilet reading. reading. Toilet reading. <laughs> the book you have beside the loo. When you get up in the middle of the night for a pee-pee and you think, oh, I'll put the light on and have a little read. <laughs> and there I am. And there you are. 
Well, give us a short vignette about some of those people. One of my favorite stories is the Dick James story that Ruth is involved in. Oh, when we went to the uh, the breakfast at the, what's it called? Yeah. The Cafe Royal Hotel. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're in the car with Dick James. No, it wasn't Dick James. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. It was a Dick James music luncheon thing. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, and so who was in the who was in the car? I love this this one. It would have been Jim and Ange and me, and I started telling this really horrible cheesy joke, and they said, "Oh, we got to put you on stage at the breakfast." And I said, well, "Stage? What do you mean stage? Well, we'll just stand you on the table." So you know, there's the mucky mucks and who's who of the London publishing industry and the lawyers and the the Beatles are all there, and this, that, and, the other. and then they get me up to tell this absolutely ridiculous, knock-knock, horrible, stupid joke. But I got a round of applause from, you know, a room full of dignitaries and all four Beatles. So that, that that's good on your resume. And that probably I started her off on the trail to wanting to be in show business. Yeah. Now, I, now every time I open the fridge, the light goes on. I stand there tap dancing and telling jokes for twenty minutes. <laughs> I right, do the so. same thing. I'm glad someone else does. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about Cynthia Lennon? You know, I, I just oh. adore the ground that she walks on. Tell us about Cynthia. Me too. Lovely, lovely girl. Well, of course, we met up in those early days when all that craziness was going on. And we didn't really have that much time to spend together because it was always in a hurry. Everybody was rushing everywhere. And then after her life moved ahead, and Jim and I were living at Rembrandt, she was living with Julian in um, Hoylake, which close to where she was uh, born and grew up. Well, I'm not sure where she was born, but she grew up in that area. And she used to come over and spend afternoons with Jim and I. And... uh, she and Julian, uh, Ruth used to say, oh, God, have I got to play with Julian? I'd say, yes, go and play in the back garden with him on the swing and the bouncy ball. And she'd say, have I got to? <laughs> she wouldn't need much pushing now, would she? I'll break out a couple of guitars. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we became firm friends, and we've kept in touch ever since. And years and years later, I mean, as you know, a lot of water's flown under the bridge since then. And uh, Cynthia and I talk about once a week on the telephone. And when I was writing a book, I said, could I ask you to write the foreword? She said, yes, sure, absolutely, which she did very kindly. And uh, I was so thrilled. But uh, she hasn't changed. She's still a dear, dear, sweet girl, and I love her very much. Wow, and I do too. She's also a great graphic talent. That's how they met, you know, was was in our school. And... um, few years ago, a good few years ago now, she designed a line of fabrics, and uh, oh, she's she's really beyond talented. She's amazing. But so is Julian. I mean, he's a gourmet cook. He's, you know, Cordon Bleu French cook, photographer, writer, musician, poet. His photographs are amazing. And now right. he's got the Feather Foundation that he's uh, supporting, which is, you know, clean drinking water all over the world, and just, you know, just basic human rights and just justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think John would be very, very, very proud. I really oh, do. Oh, yes, I'm sure, sure he is. is. Yeah. I'm sure he is. Now, what about we May Payne? I love May, here. too. Hmm. Say yeah, that again, I, I, I know it sounds a bit hippy-dippy creepy, but I feel I feel John's presence. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. He's never far away. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, really and truly, I mean, I couldn't do what I do without 
feeling that presence. You know, it's no, just, I'm sure you it could. Would be a, yep, it'd be what impossible. Got you, and we're going off script here. What got you started on your? I mean, it's it's like a, it's a life's work. I mean, what you've done literary wise for John is like what Michelangelo did for the Sistine Chapel. You've just <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just got your job. No, no, no. You, you know, just keep painting and painting. I, you, a, you keep finding new nuances and new colors yeah. and new corners. What what was it about him that just piqued your interest that that it wasn't Paul, it wasn't Ringo, George, it was John? You know. Um, Angie and Ruth, we have always had children live in our home that um, were not part of our family strictly. They were either here because their parents had deserted them or they were too busy for them or, you know, there had always been some reason. And John's the yeah. child who's lived with us the longest. And he, his story just touched my heart that everyone who should have been there for that little boy was not. And Cynthia was. And that's why I love her so much. But... Um, just wanted to tell the story that you two know more than anyone that parents matter. You know, you're best friends. You're not just oh, yeah. mom and daughter. You're your best friends. And Absolutely. I just yeah. want so John to Julian and Cynthia. They speak every day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wherever Julian is in the world, he calls his mom every day. That's right. And there you and go. Wherever and that's Ruth what is I wish in John the world, which is just upstairs from me, she emails me every morning and says, get the kettle on. <laughs> Email well, why call when you can send email when you're the digital diva, right? Oh, yeah. Well, then there you go. There you go. Now, one last person, then I'm going to open the phone lines, but I know that you were good friends with Elsie and Harry Graves, Ringo's parents. Oh, Tell us a yes. little bit about them. Lovely, lovely people. And, you know, they were so simple. And Elsie once, <laughs> I used to go over there, and we'd sit and have a cup of tea and just get the photograph albums out and she used to get the press clippings of what was happening with the boys and her Richie and she said to me one day you know he sends me I won't tell you how many x number of pounds uh, a month and I've opened a post office account and I put in 20 pounds a week for or 20 pounds a month or something you know because if all this music stuff ever goes away then I'll have a few bob put aside for him to be able to open the <laughs> A little hairdressers or something. Yeah. And, and she really meant that from the bottom of her heart. She had no idea about what was happening in their world, you know? Frida what, Kelly, did when anybody? we ran into Frida. Good old Frida, yeah. Last year um, on her movie, you know, Sojourn Around the World, she said, are you, are you doing all right? She said, you know, I've got a, I've got a little savings. Oh, now, Ruth, maybe you shouldn't say this. No, she said, if, you, if you need any money, oh, no. know, I'm making money from this film, and it's a Beatle family, and we should just all share it. Oh, no. Oh, no, we're, we're doing all right. <laughs> but you know what? We're going to meet her in April in Austria, so I might touch her for a few, Bob. Absolutely. Borrow 500 quid <laughs> off her and never pay her back. <laughs> Yeah. She wouldn't care. She wouldn't care at all. No, I know. She's, she's just, lovely. No, but just the, yeah. the thought of, you know, we've known each other like 50 years, and she's like, well, you know. Well, I, are I, you I okay know, for money? Because okay? I've got a little bit. How's yeah. your business doing? Because yeah. I'm doing all right now. We can share. You know, how yeah. sweet is uh, that? Yeah. That's oh, tell you what, That's going Liverpool. off track a little, Jude, Peter Asher was at the, the Palace at Buckingham Palace two days ago getting oh. an award. That's great. I know. Isn't that lovely? It's for his uh, services to music, yeah. Yeah, well, you talk about him, you talk about Mark Lapidos, you talk oh, yes. about John's Aunt Mimi, oh, yes. Elton John, 
there's so many interesting people. I, I, listeners, these are not the same stories you've heard a bazillion times. These are new, fresh, personal family stories. And if you haven't read My Long and Winding Roads, you've really missed a whole part of Beatles history that you haven't heard oh, before. You. So <laughs> it's, it's, I loved it. I really, you know, I loved oh, it. Oh, thank I, I really you. Did. And I'm the shameless marketer in the family. So I'm going to say, if, you, if you're going to buy one, buy it from Mrs. McCartney's Tease.com because that way you'll get it autographed at Amazon. You won't. <laughs> uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's and exactly I will mail right. it from home here. Yeah. And while you're you know, on the there website. There might be a teabag in it. Uh, there you go. That would be perfect. I love that. <laughs> well, the number to call in is 646-668-2641, and the lines are open now. So call away. And while we're waiting, Ruth, I just wanted to get you to share with us a little bit about two of the shows that, that you and Angie do together, Behind the Beatles and Magical History Tour. Are they different, the same, or where do you do them? Give us the whole scoop on those shows. So there are two, I mean, obviously the subject is, you know, the the audience and the messages for Beatles fans. Behind the Beatles is a much more acoustic, intimate evening. It features two musicians who are the John and Paul of the piece. It's not a play, but it's much more like an intimate uh, performing arts center kind of, of deal. And we talk about, you know, the things we've been talking about tonight and focus in on the music and the stories behind the songs and where we were when we first heard them and what they mean to family and things like that. So there's musical interludes. My husband, Martin Nethercutt, who's the producer, has created, oh gosh, two hours worth of animation, original animations. We've worked with animators all over the world. And um, it's a multimedia experience. It's two old broads sitting on a couch with, you know, sometimes we'll have (laughs) special guests like Ivor Davis. Two old broads, how dare she? Yeah. Um, very we're going to be doing something with Ivor Davis, who wrote, you know, his great book, The Beatles and Me, on tour. So we have special Aww. guests that come in and out. Now, the Magical History Tour is the full-on, you know, spinning plates, dancing monkeys, the whole deal. And we have yeah. um, the Beatle Band, and they recreate all of the costumes and the original equipment and real attention to detail stuff. But we take... Um, sort of a Johnny Carson approach to it. So it's it's a whole Beatles experience. There's multimedia, there's the music, and then, you know, woven through it, again, are, are Angela's and my experiences and stories and movies, old archival footage that we've got from the Liverpool Town Hall and ABC TV Australia when the Beatles went down under. And mm-hmm. the whole zeitgeist of the 60s, the fashion, the Oscar winners, the politics, Martin Luther King, JFK, it's, it's a whole evening wow. of... The 60s, and of course, the soundtrack is The Beatles. So that's basically the show. That's fantastic. When will you be doing this again? Any any chance that you might be doing it at a Fest for Beatles fans in the near future? I think it's a it's a really big production for a hotel to put on a hotel stage. But we actually leave um, March 9th for two shows in Vienna, Austria. We just opened an office in Vienna. We have McCartney Sports over there, of all things. We manage four tennis players uh, who just beat the the Bryan Brothers for a second time today. Yay. And, um, yeah, so we're doing two shows there. We're doing one in Turnitz, and then we're going the middle week of March up to Obertauen, where the Beatles filmed Help, you know, that famous skiing scene where they come down the mountain. Right, And we have our group over there, McCartney Group GmbH, which is our partners in Vienna. 
they have put together the whole end of the ski season in the Alps in Austria is Beetle themed. And we have Frida oh. Kelly flying in to um, screen Good Old Frida and do a Q&A. For the first time, we have Klaus Vormann coming in to screen his Good Old Klaus um, as well. And then we'll do the Magical History Tour show with the Cavern Club Beatles from Liverpool. And then oh. we're also doing a um, dinner with the McCartneys where I put my chef's coat on and work with chef and put out a four course beetle themed dinner and uh wow. you know have to have dinner with a limited amount of people and um a lot of the profits a whole bunch of the proceeds from that of course you have food cost and what have you the that and the tea company we donate to the linda mccartney breast cancer center in liverpool because that oh, is one amazing outfit that when when they find the cure for breast cancer and i'm pretty confident that they'll be amongst the people that do they're there to share it with the world, so you know, to, so so that we don't all always keep looking forward and never look back to the lovely Linda. We keep her very, very much in my in our memories and our donations. And then um, some of the dinners we'll also be doing in the name of um, Jim McCartney, his my, my dad's estate. With we just formed a new partnership with the Arthritis Foundation of America, and so. Oh. Uh, yeah, a lot of the events are have we have a little thing. We had it at, at um, the Fest for Beetle fans, Loose Change for Linda. And everybody that goes past, if I hear Loose Change rattling in their pocket, I'm like, put your hand in your pocket, give me your money, put it in the tin, it's going to Linda. It's going to the breast cancer. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. So, yeah. I love it. Now, what are the dates for that again? Because that sounds like a great experience. The um, in, in Austria, we're playing the 12th and 15th in Vienna. And um, we are playing the 18th is the dinner in Obertown and the 19th. So if anybody wants to, if anybody happens to be going over there, um, Obertown is pretty near Munich. And it is Obertown, O-B-E-R-T-A-U-E-R-E-N. No, no, not R-E-N, E-R-N, Obertown. Oh, excuse me. Hello, you haven't even had a Chardonnay yet, sister. That's all you think. (laughs) (laughs) And she's got the secret stash under the desk. Yes, of course. Actually. She's like Ellen's mother. She drinks it out the box. <laughs> um, but com has got all the details. And then we're starting a North American swing, probably not till the fall, because we're doing we're doing a big dinner down in Kima, Texas, on the 15th and 16th of June at an nice. amazing restaurant called Eculent, E-C-U-L-E-N-T.com. Wow. Wow. And this is a place that has, they change... The lights, the soundtrack, the smell, and the multimedia environment with every single course. So oh, putting, my goodness. Yeah. It's the only restaurant of its kind in the United States. And Chef David Skinner has been really generous with his ideas and whatever. So we're putting together a, uh, a dinner experience. It's only tw- it only seats 28 people. It's a tiny little restaurant. Oh, so we're doing man. that mid-June, and it's just about an hour south of Houston, Texas. And um, yeah, no, I'll I'll send you if you care. I'll send you all this information. You can put it. That on would Facebook. be great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would love to. That sounds. We fantastic. just, we, you know, obviously everybody has bills. To, we have rent to pay, just like everyone else. But we want to pay it forward. And uh, Linda is a great cause, and you know, Jim suffered so badly from arthritis. It was just debilitating. Right. That you know that really needs to be. And and the thing is with arthritis is everybody's like, oh yeah, I've got that. Oh my uncle's got that. Yeah. Everybody thinks yep. they have it until you really have it, and then, boy, do you have it. <laughs> yeah, and it's a different thing, and that's really kind of leads us to what 
you know, Jim's last days were tough. I can tell that from the book. You oh, yeah. you two are not gripers. You do not complain. But I, I oh, can no. read between the lines that it was really a tough time. And finally, in March of 76, he passed. And after that, the next few years for the two of you were extremely tough. And I know a lot of people who are listening tonight are going through hard times, people who've lost jobs and they've lost their homes. And a, yeah. and a lot of people that I know personally have lost hope. So, Tell them how you faced that time and really how you came out of those dark days. Well, I think we're fortunate to have each other, Ruth and I, and a sense of humor is awfully important. I mean, it might sound trivial, but every morning when I wake up, the first emails I look for are from a friend from Liverpool who sends me something silly to make me laugh. And if I can start the day with a laugh, and the love of my daughter and my pussycats and put the kettle on, make a nice cup of tea and think, well, I'm above ground. You'll get up, wash your face, brush your teeth, and do it again. Yeah, and as our friend Saxophone Jones from The Undertakers, he's he's a lovely man. He's he's actually the lead on this new statue for Epi. They're trying to get a statue in Liverpool for Brian Epstein. And uh, I remember him saying when, one time we were moving house for the, I don't know, 23rd time or something, he said, Love, it's only money. They can't kill you. Yep, <laughs> that's true. Right. Okay. Yep. That's a good one. To re- so, you know, you, you collect a few uh, mental tattoos along the way in life, and that's one that's for me. So, you know, so, you know, business has been really, really tough the last, since 2008, as, as it has been for everybody. But if you, you know, the thing is, we, we are so blessed because we have our health and we have each other and we have a sense of humor and I have a wonderful husband. But it is it is tough, but you have to remember your blessings. And you look around the world and you see these poor families in Syria having to flee from their homes because they're not allowed to live there anymore. Yeah. And, we, right. you know, we need to look in, in America, we need to look, even if our bank accounts are empty and the phone's ringing from, you know, Visa or whatever, it could always be worse. Yeah, it's, it's only good. about money. Yeah. If you have your health, it's... The health and... Love of someone. Yeah, one person. Yeah, that's right. And that's the bottom you can line. Make one person's day better. I go out of my way every day to find, yeah. you know, somebody somewhere who is in good grief. You know, some woman wearing bright peach skirt, yellow top, blue shoes, and she's got orange <laughs> hair, and green eyeshadow. And you and say, I'll, oh, I love your earrings. Right, I find something. Just be say, nice yeah, to people. That really suits you. You know, yeah. just find something. Yeah on somebody who needs it and pay it forward. Yeah, it doesn't take but a moment. And it doesn't cost any money. And that is what led to two things that you do. One, McCartney Multimedia, and two, iFans, because you know how to make things sparkle and you know how to make life fun and you know how to make life positive and and to put your best foot forward. So tell us about your companies and how they grew out of, of... yeah, iFans is interesting. We're in the middle of redesigning it, ifanz.com. But um, the back end still is the same exact feature and function. John Lennon used to talk about when he'd come to stay with us, he'd say, you know, oh, God, he said, if we could just get the suits out of the equation, we could just ask the customers. And he never called them fans. He always revered right. them as customers, right? He said, you know, we could just ask the customers what, what they like, what they want. You know, but we go into the studio with, and the suits assign producers and writers and, 
you know, we're, we're supposed to say, oh, well, we're, we're just Beatles. We're just performing monkeys, you know. We'll do this. But right. if, I, if we could just talk to the suits, uh, to get the suits out of the equation. So um, then, of course, at Rembrandt, the house we used to live in, we got tons and tons and tons of fan mail every day. We had three, you know, postal collections every day. And Goodness. part of my post, part of postal deliveries every day, part of my... Um, pocket money was helping Ange sort them out, split them open, um, attach them to the envelope, make a, f- a four by a three by four card, put it in the box, drive it through the tunnel to Frida Kelly, organize it and drop it off so Frida could, you know, actually run the real fan club. And so I saw the value of fans at a very early age and I thought, you know, somebody needs to account to these people and for these people and not just think of them as a number. So when the internet started to you know, rear its ugly head in 94. We were living in Nashville. We lost everything in the Northridge earthquake here in L.A. And Ange got a job at um, Gannett Newspapers in Nashville. So we, my husband and I followed her, and he's, his trade was an import-export forwarding agent, so he got a job at the airport. And I was doing, you know, catering and this, that, and the other. And this thing called the Internet popped up, so we checked out 22 library books from the Davidson County Library in Nashville, taught ourselves HTML code, <laughs> scratched our heads a lot, ate ate way too much pizza, and started, you know, the internet business by building websites for friends like Fleetwood Mac and David Cassidy and Andrew Gold and what have you. And, of course, when you have a website for a celebrity, mail starts coming in, email starts coming in. Well, now where do you pile it up? What do you do with it? So that was how iFans was born. So we now babysit 6.6 million fan data records for our 1,200 members, and it's free to join. I mean, once you start using our bandwidth and blasting stuff out through the servers, it's 9 bucks a month or 14 bucks a month because we have to cover costs, you know. But the whole idea was born that, you know, John Lennon said, we should be able to communicate one-on-one with our fans and sell them something. So, you know, we have databases of bands you've never heard of, all the way to Roseanne Barr, John Cleese, and the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So, you know, it's it's called marketing now, and it's called e-marketing now, but John actually, you know, accidentally invented the Internet. (laughs) Again, (laughs) another one? And not Al Gore. Gore. Maybe that's your next book, John Lennon and the Internet. (laughs) And not Al Gore. Okay, so, Angie, you went in a different direction. You formed a company called MrsMcCartneysTees.com. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, about five years ago, we had a friend here. It was uh, Thanksgiving Day, and everybody was having, um, you know, barbecue and cocktails. And it this was actually 4th of July. Oh, 4th of July. That's you right. You don't barbecue on Thanksgiving. Oh, God. I'm an older person. Uh. It's, it's late in the evening. I forget. Yeah, and uh, this friend said, well, I'll just have a nice cup of tea. I don't drink anymore. I'll have a nice cup of tea. And then he said, hey, what about... Mrs. McCartney's tea. What's more English than tea? And what's more British than the Beatles? So the idea was born there, and he is still a partner yeah. in our little business. And off we went, and here we are. Yep. So, and yeah, I love we have your Mrs. name. McCartney's teas, and thank goodness we're thriving. And uh, one of my greatest delights is being able to donate to the Linda McCartney Breast Cancer Center when I sell stuff. So you know, keep going onwards and upwards. And tell us about the names. I love the names of the teas. <laughs> well, we had very sort of mundane names to start with, and then we thought, well, to catch people's attention, because so many of our Facebook friends are Beatle fans, 
we would change things to like, uh, you know, Blue Meanie. Uh, oh gosh, come on, Ruth. Sergeant, um, uh, strawberry Greenfield. Strawberry, yeah, that's right. Strawberry um, uh, uh, Meanie. Yeah, my and my favorite one. Oh, and then of course we had Fifty Shades of Earl Grey. My Earl Grey became Fifty Shades, and that flew off the shelves recently because of that naughty that movie. Is- and yep. so funny, dude. Somebody, somebody said to somebody emailed Aunt, one of the older cousins in Australia emailed her and said, "So I see you've got the tea. Have you seen? Have Have you been to see the movie?" And Aunt replied, "She said, well, I went to the theatre um, to see the movie.'" And they wrote back to, "Yeah, what do you think?" And she said, "I don't know. I couldn't see through the blindfold." <laughs> <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> dirty, I like it, but dirty old bird. Not, yeah, I know. The, what the we're going to do? Not X-rated though. <laughs> That's so good. Now, if people want to order this tea from you, what do they do? How do they get it? They go to www.mrsmccartneysteas.com and click And what on about it? Facebook? Do you oh. do Facebook yes, as well? Yeah. Facebook. It's, yeah. It's at Angie McCartney's Teas. So okay. If you, if and you Twitter, Google you're... Angie, Angie plus McCartney plus tea, Google it, Bing it. You'll you'll find us. Oh, this dreadful daughter of mine has just brought me a glass of wine. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I fear it's almost over, (laughs) too. But we have a caller before we go, so let's see who's on the line and what they want to ask you. Here we go. Let's see. Hello, caller from the 781 area code. Yes, hi, Jude. It's Ed from uh, Massachusetts. How are you doing? Hey, Ed. Welcome to the program. Do you know Angie and Ruth? I don't, but I have got to know them uh, in the last uh, f- almost 15 minutes. <laughs> jolly good. Very well, interesting, you, you very down to earth. That, did you, Ed? I guess it's so cold outside, there's nothing much else to do. Yeah, <laughs> we have like three feet of snow that we're still trying to get rid of here. It's oh, been snowing God, like crazy. Yeah. We need the rain. Could you melt it and send it here? Yeah, but we don't want too <laughs> much rain because then I'll have flooding in my basement. Mm. Yeah, no, that's no I don't need that. <laughs> I know. Well, did you have I a have question for these lovely ladies? Yeah, well, I actually have two questions, but I'll ask one first, and then if I'm, I'm able to ask the second one, I'll... Uh, I'll Uh-oh, like we'll see what the first one was. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I've been reading um, I've been reading uh, Brian Epstein's uh, Cellar Full of Noise, and I decided oh, yeah. that I'd ask you a Brian Epstein question. Sure. Um, what, what was your impression of uh, Brian Epstein? Uh, oh, I loved him. He was a gentleman in a day when it wasn't okay to let people know your orientation. Uh, He was from a very um, religious, laid-back Jewish family, and one had to be awfully, awfully careful in those days. So it was very sad for Brian to have to hide what his real instincts were, but as far as his business acumen, he just believed in the boys and wanted to help them to go you know, far. He never knew how far they would go, of course, but uh, he was totally loyal to them. Really, really lovely person. I loved him very much. And his mother Queenie was a was a character too. Oh yeah, she was great. She was lovely. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember Brian that well because, of course, I was a kid. You're pretty young, yeah. But right. One of the one of the gentlemen that worked for Brian in the office, Peter Brown, um, who is actually in a John Lennon lyric. Um, flew into the Amsterdam Hilton. Peter Brown said, "Be okay." Blah blah blah. I had the biggest crush when I was about seven. I'm going to marry Uncle Peter Brown. Well, little did I know, uh-uh. <laughs> Uncle Peter <laughs> Brown and I was that was 
never going to work. But they just conducted really? themselves as absolute, complete, you know, gentlemen. suited up. Totally gentlemen. We, we, we were always a bit nervous when Brian was coming over because, oh, oh Brian, Brian he's, it's a bit posh. A bit you posh know. for us, he yes. You terribly, terribly. Right. We were posh, yeah. Scouted. No, but he, yeah. <laughs> he was a wonderful person. <laughs> and obviously, without him, the Beatles would never have happened the way they did and the no, way they still not. are. No, I think if, uh, when, you, when they always ask you why did the Beatles made it so successful, it was just people in the organization, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, you know, from yeah. everybody they seemed to attach to were always looking for the best, you know, yeah. for the That's Beatles. That's right. In the early days, yes, unfortunately, right. the business has changed a lot now, but in those days, people were very sincere, people like Brian particularly, and Tony Barrow, who was a, a PR guy, they just had a total interest at heart and looked out for them for the best. They were family. They, these, yeah, were all lads. Right. these were all yeah. young lads. I mean, you forget how young Brian was when you look at him all suited up. I mean, he looked like a man of 40 years old, but he wasn't that much older than the Beatles. No, know. that's right. And no. Frida Kelly is the secretary. She was, she was Brian's secretary, and then she said, he eventually said, well, you know, I need to shunt you over to looking after the Beatles because it." so much going on with their paperwork and their mail and their fan club and so on. And that's where Frida... And, you know, Frida never told anybody for years what she'd done for a living. Not even No, a few years ago, because she had a grandson, she thought, you know, before it's too late, I think I should put this story down on paper and, as it turned out, on video and film, so that Niall, my grandson, knows that I wasn't just an old granny sitting knitting and so on, that I, I did something with my life. Oh, boy, did she. And she still is. She's wonderful. But that, that, yes, culture that, Brian, yes. that was the culture yes. that Brian encouraged at oh. him in the office. Everybody was just, it was fun, it was hard work, but it was just professional. Yeah, you know? totally, yeah. He, he and it was made a, a sports coach, actually. Mm. He was the coach. He would. Well, now, Ed, if you have a quick question, we only have five minutes left, but I have something quick. Uh how did uh, you both react to uh, Paul when he uh, got sick on tour? I believe it was Japan last year. Oh, oh what a worry. And what, was, what was really bizarre was I was on the other side of the Atlantic going through something very similar. I had a virus that nearly took me out. I was, I was groggy really? for three weeks this past February and March. I couldn't see. I couldn't drive. I, I mean, mm. the only good news was I lost 22 pounds, but I did it in eight days. So, wow. But, you know, with Paul, obviously, such a worry. And when there's so much involved with him being on tour, so many people, so much business involved, it really is It's shocking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, like everybody else, he needs his rest. We're not getting any younger, any of us. And he loves what he's doing. He's out there slugging, doing it, and uh, it's because it's what he wants to do. It's not exactly. about the money. It's about the making fans. people happy. And the fans. Yeah. yeah. But if yeah. he has as much well, uh, energy as you do, then he'll he'll be on the road until he's probably 80 <laughs> at night. I reckon. He's not bad for 85, is she, Ed? <laughs> what was that, you? I, I don't know. I said she's not, she's not bad for 85, is she? Book? Angie uh-huh. has written on the cover of her book, 
uh, Angie McCartney, the first, what is it, 82, 82.9 years. That's when I got the publishing deal for the first book. <laughs> I'm writing a second book, but please, God, it doesn't take another 82 years. Well, I do have the first book. I just haven't, I just haven't read it yet. I had to take it out and, 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 and say, that's got to be my next book that I, that I read good, after right. I read yeah, uh, Full of Noise, which I'm almost done with. That's going to be the next book I read. Jelly good. Right. Well, you'll good. love it. You'll love and it. I well, thank that, you for calling, Ed. We always yeah, love, love having you part you. of the show. Please, please stay safe there in Massachusetts. Don't take any chances on the roads, all right? No. I, I won't. I'm, I'll be very careful. Thank you. And you ladies also please be do. careful. Okay. Yeah. Thank now, you, very, Ed. Great talking to you both. Thank you. Lovely. You uh, congratulations too. on the Super Bowl. Success with both <laughs> your companies. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so ladies, we're almost to the end of our time together. Ruth, you are the marketer of our threesome here. Tell everybody where they can find you guys on Facebook, Twitter, and the whole works. Well, the very easiest place to go is a, a little portal we built. We we own this little domain name called McCartney.com. So if you there just you head go. to McCartney.com, you can find Angie's Tees and our show and our multimedia company and our Vienna company and our sports division and all of the above. McCartney.com is the place. Or you can Find me on Facebook. Have cut me off now. I've got apparently got too many friends that Mark Zuckerberg's decided I'm too popular. <laughs> but um, I've opened a second page, which is Ruth Ann McCartney. So I've got room over there. So I love to chit chat with people on Facebook when I get the time. And uh, yeah, no, we're we're out there. So well, we we pretty, it's been such email address too. It's Ruth at McCartney dot com. Duh. There you go. And, and Ruth at, at McCartney dot com. We well, thank play. you guys so, so much for being oh, here. Lovely I mean, you. there's thank you, darling. so thank much you we didn't get to talk about. So you got to come back again. I'd love to. Go on, I dare you. All right. If we didn't bore the pants off. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. We got Next time we're going to have to talk about Angie's honeymoon on the set of Help and the days that you oh, guys spent. I know sure. Ruth, you spent a lot of time running the, fe- the Wings Fan Club. And we talk about yeah. Rembrandt. We'll do it again. How about that? Okay. Hey, darling. And you'll have Wonderful. fun with Louise. Yeah. She's a doll. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to it. Yes. Next week, Louise Harrison, this same time, same place, on the 9th, next Thursday night. Two ladies full of fun and joy teaching us tonight the lesson that life can't defeat you, that with pluck and determination and humor and ingenuity, you can find a way to survive. Get that wonderful Mrs. McCartney's teas and my long and winding roads and go to McCartney.com and check them out. And next week, we'll be talking about Louise Harrison's great, great, great book, if you haven't read it, My Kid Brother's Band, a.k.a. The Beatles. Until then, remember, modern and taller. Oh. And shine on. <laughs> <laughs>